Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Uh, Before we get into the word, please join me in a brief word of prayer, and we'll get into God's word. Father God, thank you so much uh, for how you've already ministered uh, to the hearts of all of us here today, Lord. Thank you for that wonderful worship. Uh, Thank you, Father God, for that time of testimony to speak of the goodness of God uh, manifested in our lives, Father God. Thank to testify of all the ways you've set us free. Um, Father God, that it, therein lies the gospel. Hallelujah. The one who saves to the utmost. Saved us all out of our circumstances and situations, but most of all saved us out of a life of sin and death and eternal condemnation and brought us into a reconciliation with him and life eternal. Father, speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, convict us and lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, Last week, if you'll recall, I started with the theme of New Year, Same Mission. And um, I introduced the topic of our Christian DNA. And it may... It, it might have been better to, uh, for the subtitle of last week's message to be the DNA of our Christian mission. What is our Christian mission and what is it rooted in? Today we're going to be talking about the DNA of our Christian values. What are the values of this church? You know, the church, what ought to be the values of the church, but more specifically this church? Are you hearing me? So within that umbrella of same year, a new year, same mission, we're going to continue that. The DNA of our Christian values. And values speak to our convictions. What are the things that are important to us? What are the things that identify us? And I'm sure many of you have a value system within your own families. You know, what does the Cannon family represent? Despite our, whatever our strengths and our weaknesses might be, what are our core values? What do we stand on? What are we anchored in? And we know our statements of faith and, and, and the scripture that we stand on as far as the gospel truth, but there are values present within those as well. So today, I want to spotlight four core values that should identify this new covenant fellowship church family. Y'all okay with that? And we're not going to be reinventing the wheel, but I believe it's important for clarity's sake. What it is, what, what our core values are. When we're interacting amongst ourselves and when we're interacting in the community. What is it that we want people to see? What, what do we want to be the core things that people identify? That person must be a part of New Covenant Fellowship Church. Core value number one, truth. Hey, in this culture where if you disagree with the other person, 
You know, it's easy to dismiss it as fake news or whatever. You know, it's hard to know. This source says one thing. This source says another. This third source says another. It's hard to know what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false. I don't know if somebody on, on the, at an anchor desk is telling me the truth or not. I don't know if someone who wrote an article is telling me the truth or not. So before I allow them to have control over my emotions and animate me to react based on what they said, I need to assess what is truth. Not only truth about their statements, but what is truth? What truth am I going to be anchored in? What truth will I give control over my emotions, over my thoughts, over my actions? It's not going to be some other person's truth. It's got to be the truth of the word of God. John 1, starting at the first verse, says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus here. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to us full of grace and truth. Praise God for that. Amen. For it is by grace through faith that we are saved. Praise God that Jesus came full of grace. But salvation comes through the truth of God's word. You just can't be saved your way. This is not like the old Burger King commercials. You can have it your way. There is one way to salvation, and that is through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And he came full of grace and truth, we cannot gloss over the truth part. We love the grace. But we have to own the truth. John 8, verses 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, say abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, every one of us should be circling, starring, highlighting, whatever, it, whatever you do, stars, doodles, whatever it is, we need to highlight that. Because Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to us here. If we are believers in Christ, he's telling us, abide in his word. Right? Abide means to faithfully obey his word. If you study his word, hey, that's a good start. You can't obey what you don't know, but it's just a start. Because abiding demands obeying, faithfully walking in. That means you live your life in accordance with his word. And Jesus tells us, if we do that, we will enjoy three benefits. 
that's right there in front of us. One, you'll be truly his disciples. Two, you will know the truth. And three, the truth will set you free. But it all starts with the abiding. Being a doer of his word, obeying his word, conforming your life in accordance with his word. Because that's the only way we're going to be his disciples, presenting him in spirit and in truth to the world that doesn't know him. What are we presenting about Jesus? If we want to present him to the world, we need to be abiding in his word of truth. Are you hearing me? John 16 verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, when the Holy Spirit moves, the Holy Spirit moves according to truth. He will only do what God the Father wants. So there is an element of our own responsibility that we are abiding in the truth. But let's not skip or let's not forget or fail to understand and embrace the work of the Holy Spirit who is leading us and guiding us into all truth, who will convict us according to the truth. And when the Holy Spirit does his work, we need to respond with humble hearts, willing to repent and get in line with what the Holy Spirit says. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit and dismiss his promptings. So there is a personal responsibility and there is a yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit that is all part of the abiding in his word. Are you hearing me? And finally, before Jesus laid down his life uh, to pay our sin debt, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, he prayed to God the Father on behalf of all who would become his disciples in John 17. And out of the Lord's mercy, I will not read the whole chapter to you. Because I love you. But I will, I'll just read verses 14 to 21. Because Jesus says something here that's, that's relevant. And he's praying to the Father, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. You realize you're not of this world any longer? You're in it. But spiritually, your citizenship is in heaven. Right? And, and, and so your preeminent identity is your heavenly identity. You represent a kingdom. Right? And the king of that kingdom has declared how you are to conduct yourself in the earth. Right? You, we don't get to make up our own rules. We don't get to justify un-Christ-like behavior. We don't get to justify bad actions or attitudes or, or, or all this stuff that we know we shouldn't be doing, we don't get to use the bad behavior of others to justify our own. Because our life is not our own. We belong to him. 
And so Jesus is praying to the Father, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's his prayer. It it, is too important. There are people dying and going to hell. There are people walking in darkness and deception, and they will end up perishing for eternity. That's why I do not want you to take them out of this world. I want them to be salt and light in this world. I want them to represent me and and proclaim my truth and to make disciples because he is willing that all should come into repentance and that none should perish. And I know people tick us off. And we disagree wholeheartedly with a lot of people, but, but, but let's, not, let's not put our own attitudes and in, in, in behaviors in front of what God wants from his heart. The worst, some of the worst people in the world, Jesus died for them. And despite what we think they might deserve, Jesus loves them wholeheartedly and wants them to be reconciled to God through him. And that, that should compel us and drive us through the fellowship of sufferings in Christ that Paul wanted to do. Lord, everything in me wants to get a pound of flesh or to to, to get back at this person and put them in their place, but I'm not on your throne, you are. I don't belong to me. I belong to you. And I've got to make a decision. Do I want to represent you in the earth or not? It's a simple question. If I want to represent you, then I'm going to have to do it your way. In accordance with your truth. Or I'm going to have to stop doing what I do in your name. Because unless it is done in obedience to you, it ain't you. Are you hearing me? You don't have to say amen for me to know it's true. So I just want to know if you're listening, if you're taking it in. It's up to you what you do with it, but I'm just going to tell you how it is. How it ought to be. You know, how it ought to be in the Lord. So I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And here we go. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's what he wants us sanctified in. His truth. Not our truth, not your truth, his truth. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. It's being sanctified in the word of truth. It's abiding in the word of truth that doesn't make you vulnerable to the evil one. It's walking in the truth of God that keeps you from the evil one. It's being sensitive to the prompting and convicting of the Holy Spirit that keeps you from the evil one. It's being determined to walk in obedience and in accordance with God's truth that keeps you from the evil one. That doesn't mean prevent bad stuff from happening to us. 
We don't want to fall prey to the evil influence of the enemy. This is not saying the enemy is not going to have some victories in certain areas of the country or the world and, and that the influence of sin isn't going to be prevalent in our community. The objective is that the influence of evil doesn't infect our hearts. It doesn't infect our minds. It doesn't affect how we walk in this earth. We are sanctified in the truth. We walk in the liberty of Christ so we can see things for where they are, for what they are. And, 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 and the most vile things can come out of your mouth, but I, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me, right? So I have, I've been prayed up. I've been seeking God to help me to see you as he sees you. Because I want to conduct myself with you despite your vile words, in a way that represents him well. Sanctify me in your truth, God, that I might do that, that I might represent you in truth to a world who doesn't know you. I do not ask for these only. I love it because we know he was talking about his disciples that were with him at that time, but he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's what, see, we think that because we end a prayer with the phrase, in the name of Jesus, that that automatically makes that prayer in the name of Jesus. But it's the content of the prayer. It's the heart of the prayer. It is whether the prayer is in line with who he is and the truth of his word that determines whether it's in his name. Not the ending part. But he wants us to be in him just as he is in the Father and the Father's in him. He wants us to be in us. He wants us to be in line with him character-wise. Value-wise, truth-wise, in accordance to the word of God. In rain, sleet, snow, doesn't matter. Good times, bad times, whatever. Squeeze us. We want Jesus to come out. And he wants it all to be done so that the world may believe that you sent me. You ever heard the phrase, you know, don't tell me, show me. You tell me you love me, but if you act in ways that are contrary to it, what speaks the loudest? Right? It, 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 we can tell the world that we're Christians. What motivates me is Christ. Yet, if we behave in ways that are contrary to him, what speaks the loudest? I'm tugging at your heartstrings today. <laughs> I I'm getting at the core of the issue because what are our values and are we living up to them? Is, is God's values our values? 
Because if there is any disparity, we need to get synced up. So that his values are our values. His value system is our value system. And and we're representing him in a way that those who are persuadable might become believers that he is the only begotten son sent from God. That they might see the the change in us. The peculiarity in us. That they might see the Christ DNA in us and become hungry for something more than what they've been experiencing and, and end up being saved. So that's truth. That's core value number one. Core value number two, love. I told you we're not reinventing the wheel, but we're making it clear what our values are. I would have had love first, but we need to establish truth first. Because there's different definitions of love, and I want there to be the love that is defined by the word of truth. God's agape love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Sorry, sorry. So at the core of this gospel that we preach, at the core of this salvation that we enjoy is love. God's love. First John 4 verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And so because our spiritual DNA contains the love of God, we have the capacity to love others. It's in our DNA now. Do you know Christ? Have you been saved? If you have, then his spiritual DNA is in you. His agape, that 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 ability to love someone who hasn't merited it. I love you not because of how you make me feel, not because of how you're performing. I've chosen by by decision of my will to love you. Flaws and all. That's what Jesus did for us, right? While we were still sinners, he died for us. We didn't merit it. We did not warrant it. We did not earn it, could not earn it. It was his love for us that caused him 
to die for us that we might have eternal life through him. And since we have been so loved and we we so richly benefit from the salvation that we have in Christ born out of his love for us. It's not too big of an ask for him to demand that we do the same for others. First John chapter four, verses seven and eight encourages us to intentionally tap into our capacity to agape love one another. When he says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's what he is. And if we're going to represent him, we're going to have to represent his love. Right? And that's, that we, we value that here. Right? So, you don't have to fit a certain mold to come into these doors. You can be weird, quirky. Not the ideal parishioner. And yet, we're going to gravitate towards you and we're going to love you as God has enabled us to because that's what we've been called to. To do anything differently would be to be a respecter of persons. And, and, and the Lord has explicitly commanded that we not be that way. I don't care what hood you come from, what side of the track you grew up on, what your economic status is, what color your skin is, what country you come from. Hey, if you are Lord, here by the Spirit of God, if God is doing the work in you and the goodness of God has led you to repentance, you're part of the family. If, if Christ is your Savior, you're a family member. And we don't turn away family. Amen? Because our God is love, and he's called us to do the same. And that definition of love is agape. It's, 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 it's not our own definition of it. As a matter of fact, according to Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, Jesus demands that we love everyone, even our enemies. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That is not a normal kind of love. It's not something we're predisposed to do. It's not natural. Well, praise God, he's not calling us to walk naturally with him. He's calling us to walk supernaturally with him because what we have is a supernatural salvation. What we have is a supernatural relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And he's calling us to live supernaturally. Right? Anybody can hate who hates them. Abuse back those who've abused you. Anybody can do that, but he's called you to do what he did when he willingly laid down his life on the cross for us. So he's not even asking us to go beyond what he went. He's saying, you represent me, you're mine. Represent me the way I want you to represent me in the world so that people can be saved, so that people know the true gospel 
And when they make a decision for Christ, they're making it according to truth. So they truly understand the depths of the love of God for them. So the love that identifies us as disciples of Jesus Christ is greater than what our culture calls love. And the love that identifies us as disciples of Jesus Christ, and I want to say that phrase again, I'm talking about a love that identifies us as disciples of Jesus Christ. is not self-centered, nor is it feelings-based. The love that identifies us as disciples of Jesus Christ, I believe is at least in part found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul details that love that identifies us as disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm only going to read part of it. But if you want to know what Christ-like love looks like, and I know I am reading a passage that many of you have read dozens, if not hundreds of times, but it's applicable, so you get to hear it again. First Corinthians chapter 13, starting at the first verse. I'll read the first seven verses and then verse 13. It's how important it is. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move, remove mountains, but have not, have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but not have love, I gain nothing. Here's what it looks like. Love is patient. The, the God kind of love. The love that represents, the, the love that identifies us as disciples of Christ is patient. And kind. It's a love that does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. There's a huge problem with that in today's time. We, we insist on our own way. And, and, and if we don't get our own way, boy, we're going to raise a stink. That, that's not the love that identifies us as disciples of Christ. Uh, that may be the way in the world, but let it not be us. Because it doesn't represent him in truth. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. There goes that word again. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So now faith, 
hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And it comes full circle because the the compulsion of God to send his son to die for us came out of love. And he says, continue to propagate that same love to those who have not yet gotten the revelation of who I am. (laughs) And I tell you, if we do that to the best of our ability, the, uh, the revivals, the, the, the mass salvations and things that our hearts long for, we'll begin to see it. You know, uh, it, it, it requires that the church gets lined up and gets focused on God's mission, God's values, and conforming ourselves to his way. God's favor, God's grace, God's provision is in that, and you'll see what we read about in the book of Acts. Which is why we're talking about at the early onset of this year about our Christian DNA. Who are we? Just like parents pass on their DNA to their children and your DNA will tell us everything about you. It identifies the child belongs to a certain set of parents. The father can deny that he is the baby's daddy, but the DNA test will be the ultimate judge. No, no, no. Your mouth says one thing, but you've marked this kid with your DNA. We've been marked with the DNA of Christ. Amen? So let's not deny that. Let's embrace it. Not just verbally. Oh, no, we embrace it verbally. Let's embrace it obediently. Let that Christian DNA be obvious and apparent to the world. That's how you let your light shine in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, core value number three is in our name, uh, New Covenant Fellowship. But I put in parentheses to that word fellowship, relationship. And I just have a couple of verses to to support that. Uh, Short ones if you're interested. Core value number three, fellowship or relationship. Uh, uh, Pastor Dale, who pastored uh, this church wonderfully for so many years and is still here and and is, I I still, he's still pastor to me. He, He said one time years ago that the Lord really uh, spoke to him and told him that relationship is everything. It's about relationship. Relationship is everything. And 
as the years have ticked on, it has become more and more evident the truth of that statement. <laughs> it's all about relationship. You know, the Lord saved us for relationship. He wants to be reconciled with us. Don't you know reconciliation is all a part of relationship? You're reconciling, you're redeeming a relationship. He's redeemed us so that he might be in relationship with us for eternity. He loves us. He created us to be in fellowship with him. So it is the broken relationship that needed to be restored and redeemed that made Jesus have to come and pay our sin debt. First John 1 verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we are all in fellowship, not just with one another, but that fellowship extends to the Father and Jesus. We are all in fellowship in and through them. And we have to remember that. Yeah, there's a million different denominations and factions and all this other stuff, but, you know, if Christ Jesus is your Lord, we may have some particular doctrinal differences, but as long as you don't say there's another way than Christ to get to salvation and, you know, uh, you don't declare him to be anything less than Lord uh, uh, of all, <laughs> that all authority is in his hand, it, you know, as long as in some of those core areas, at those main core areas, we have an agreement, we can agree to disagree with some of the other stuff. Let's not forget the fact that we have fellowship with one another through Christ. And, and when we're in conflict with one another, I'm not talking from denomination, I'm talking about brother to brother, sister to sister, whatever. When we get in conflict, let's remember, we're in fellowship together through Christ. And the fellowship we have in Christ require that we do what do everything possible to reconcile whatever differences we might have right that that's the dna of our lord and savior and we need to propagate that dna amen uh hebrews 10 verses 23 to 25 say let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look, I need y'all as a brother in Christ. We need one another. It is in fellowship, it is in relationship that we are to call each other to love and good works. That we are to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. That we are to elevate each other toward the standard of God's truth. And that's why it's important for us to actually uh, assemble 
together. Uh, that's why we have these discipleship groups, which I cannot emphasize and promote enough. In these discipleship groups, there is the ideal is to establish and promote a sense of community, which we do have. There's community. And create an environment where we can all grow as God calls us to grow, that we can become more mature in Christ. We have to all have an appetite and desire for that, you know, but we can't do it alone. We cannot do it alone. We need to do it in group, in community. So just... As pastor of this church, I know not everybody likes being out in, in, in public and being in community and all that other stuff. But I just, just for the cause of Christ, I will challenge you to come out of that shallow end and to come into the deep with him. You know, I, I would challenge you to surrender the, whatever insecurities or fears or just you just don't like people that much. Whatever it is, attitude towards people, whatever it is. I would challenge you to surrender that to God in an effort to be obedient to him. Because we know that it's his desire that you be conformed into the image of Christ. That you come into maturity in him. And you've got to partner with that. You've got to cooperate with that and avail yourself to the discipleship groups and other efforts that are being presented to help you in that way. We want you to grow. We want you to become all God's called you to be. We want you to find your calling in God and, and we want you to knock it out of the park. I want you to get a well done, my good and faithful servant. From the Lord. So it's, 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 it's probably too late to, to do the uh, rooted one, but Rooted ain't going anywhere. We're going to have more and more of these. We just started today, and um, uh, I, I am excited about what that's going to do. But we're just now starting later today the men's and women's discipleship groups. We got a lot of men and women in this church. And it doesn't matter what age you are, come one, come all, we're all in fellowship together. We all need to grow in the Lord together. And we all need to be willing to help one another do that. I can't be all that I can be without you. You can't be all that you can be without one another. And so let's be, let's be active participants in those discipleship efforts. Okay, um, core value number four so where I'll finish, transformation. Transformation. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Be not be conformed, be, woo, woo. 
says, do not be conformed. Easy for me to say. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Say transformed. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God doesn't want us to be conformers. He wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Anyone want to hazard a guess as to what it is that renews, that we should be using to renew our mind? Yes, the truth, the word of God, which is truth. And that's why it's important to abide in his word. So that we're reprogramming our mind instead of allowing what we've learned in the world to govern our thoughts and govern our heart and our actions. We want to become, we we want to get to the point where we're governed by the word of truth. And that is a transformation that has to occur. And the Holy Spirit helps in that. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18 say, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, We are to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Each and every one of us, individually. And I emphasize the individual part because what is the church? The church is made up of people. It is made up of a host of individuals. We make up the body of Christ. So I put in my note, transformed individuals will will, will produce a transformed community, a transformed church body. And pastorally speaking, that's what I'm after. Transformation, my own personal transformation, your transformation. If we all are transformed by the renewing of our minds, we're all transformed to the image of Christ, then you have a church body full of transformed people. You can't help but have a transformed body. That's out able to do the work of the ministry and have great impact in our community. Going out there into the field, being those laborers that we ought to be praying, get sent out into the harvest. You know, you're a laborer. God expects you to harvest. You are a soul winner, whether you see yourself that way or not. You are a discipler. No matter how little you think you know, you can, all of us can say, follow me as I follow Christ. There, there may come a point where I may have to hand you off to someone else who can disciple you better than me, but I can give you what I got. And once you've tapped that out, <laughs> right, then I can, let me refer you to the one that disciples me, right? <laughs> then, then, you know, then we can go on. So no, nothing is insignificant. No one is insignificant. Nothing that anyone has to offer in the church is insignificant. You, what you have is a treasure. 
right? And whatever talent, whatever ability God has given you, don't bury it in the dirt. Handle it in a way that brings a return on the investment of God in you. Transformed individuals will produce a transformed community. Uh, Ephesians 4, that's what he gave us. He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the benefit of that transformation, right? And as we are being transformed, as we're becoming more and more Christ-like, our ability to build one another up and make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love grows exponentially. In our capacity to go out into the world, even as we're doing our daily life, and make disciples increases as well. And the kingdom grows. And like in, in, in Acts, God will add to our number such as being saved daily. The, the, we're not called to save the world. Jesus died on the cross to save the world. Salvation is already available to the world. But we're called to go where he calls us to go, to encounter who he leads us to encounter and represent him the way he wants us to represent him in the world. According to his truth, doing it in his love. Are you hearing me? Valuing relationship. and seeking transformation, doing our part to partner with God as he transforms us into the image of his son. I'm going to ask you all to stand. As I say the final words of, uh, from First John, Chapter 3, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Hallelujah. So I just, I, I thank you for giving me your ear today. 
I believe that what I've shared is the heart and will of God to share. This is what God wanted me to share. So I thank you for giving the Lord your ear. But I want you to be careful not to leave what you've heard today here. I want you to be diligent. Even if you have to listen to the message again, take more notes. I want you to meditate on what God is saying to us, what he's saying to you. And not only what he's saying to you, how he wants you to respond. So I I just challenge you to to study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, but able to rightly divide the word of truth. I want you to, to take this that you have heard today and take your responsibility to be diligent, to meditate on it, to study it, and to take it to God in prayer. That's how you begin to abide in his word. I want you to be the beneficiary. I want you to experience the benefits of abiding in his word. As you abide, you're truly his disciple. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. I want that for you. I'm praying that for you. I'm believing God for that for you. I want you to want it for you more than I want it for you. Desire it, fight for it, fully apply yourself in that way. I trust that you will, and I am excited about the fruit that will be born in your life as a result. Father God, I lift up your precious people. Help us, Lord, by the work of the Holy Spirit convict us where we need convicting. Lead us as we apply ourselves and and diligently make every effort to abide in God's word. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Do the work in us that only you can do that we might be transformed and be effective witnesses for Christ. In this world, he loved so much that he gave himself for it on the cross. Exalt yourself, Lord, in us and through us, that the name of Christ might be lifted high in the lost community that we are living and enduring through, living in and enduring through. May we play the role that we are meant to play to make your heart rejoice 
as new souls are brought into the family. And as you do so, we will be careful to thank you and give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. For it would truly have been your mighty work that made it happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. appreciate you for giving me your ear and and I want before we leave I just want to give an opportunity for anyone who does not know Jesus he loves you if you don't know Jesus and you are curious you got questions if you're here the Lord led you here And you're here according to his divine will. And there's a purpose for you being here. If you don't know him, the purpose for you being here is to know him. Please give me the privilege of helping you with that. If you want to know Jesus, if you're not sure that you know him, you want to be sure, come see me and... uh, we can get that taken care of. That would be my honor. If there are any other prayer needs out there, uh, please come. It would be my honor to pray with you. Uh, Otherwise, Lord bless you as you go.